So I have to ask after that song, do you believe that God can do what only God can do? Do you expect God to do the things that you see in scripture, the things that, the promises, do you actually expect those things to happen? Because if I'm honest, a lot of my life, I haven't. Um, But it's really exciting to think when he moves, he's going to do things we don't expect. He's going to do things that, that we can't even imagine but yet we should expect him to do those things. He wants to do those things. He wants your marriage to thrive. He wants your relationship with your kids to be amazing. He wants your kids to grow up to be like Jesus. He wants those things for us. He wants us to be united. He wants to see many, many people coming to know him just like we want that. And then he wants to see them grown up and and made into leaders that go out and make more disciples that follow him. He wants that to happen and it seems impossible, but it's not. It'll happen when he moves and he is moving. And so that's really exciting. Let me pray before I go crazy. Lord Jesus Christ, it is so exciting that you want to live in and through us. You are not some distant God that made us and said, good luck, but you made us and then you remade us when we came to know you. We are new creations that belong to you. We're adopted into your family. And now you are intimately involved with every part of our lives And we thank you for that. We thank you that you sent us, but you said, I'll go with you. I'll be with you every step of the way. And in the end, we're going to be with you physically forever. It's so exciting. So I I ask, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Um, Help our unbelief. If if we're used to just normal church where, where it's just something you do, it's an event you attend and then you move on. God, I pray that you would change us. Holy Spirit, do some things that we can watch you work that you get the glory for. And let us watch, let us participate, and then draw us close to you that we would worship in response. We love you. Um, And we ask what that song was talking about, that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's there's an author speaker named Ravi Zacharias. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Uh, He's from India originally, so he has this really awesome accent. Uh, But whenever I've listened to Ravi, I've listened to him, I mean, since I was probably in my teens, He's just awesome. He's one of those that he can take something complicated and make it simple. He can take an argument and turn it around and show you why it's wrong. You know, good luck if you're going to argue atheism or any other religion with him because he just gets those things and he can present it in a way that not only convinces you the Bible's true, but also stirs your heart in the process. This, these deep theological truths, he can make you cry in the process of, of doing that. And for me, as I've listened to him, and I think there's others with similar gifting, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis is one of those similar to that. Some of the, the professors where I went to college, J.P. Moreland, um, even some pastors now, Tim Keller, have these abilities. And I've always looked at people like that and went, oh, <laughs> like I love it. I wish I was like that. I, I wish I could do that. I wish I could just take 10 minutes and go, Here's the truth. Here's why everything else is not true. And this is, and have people walk away crying going, all I want is Jesus. And I had the temptation to look at that and go, okay, that's what we need in church. We need people like that. And so I need to go do something else to find those people and put them where I'm standing right now. Um, I've also had other times where, where I've had others try and fit me into their box. You know, maybe you've been in church very long and you've seen, you know, there's kind of a, a church box and different churches have different boxes. And so if you're in part of this church, you look like this. And so I've experienced that where people go, oh, you're this, you need to look like this. But I was, I'd say really set free a couple of years ago, set free, God communicating to me, I made you on purpose. You're not an accident and I've gifted you on purpose. So 
do what I've made you to do. Um, Strength finders. We've been encouraging, we've put it out there to take the strength finders test. Uh, I took that test a few years back and what it showed me was interesting. What it showed me, there's your top five strengths. There's also your lowest five strengths, which would be weaknesses. And I, it was more revealing to me when I saw that. Like, oh, it's true. I'm not good at any of those things. Um, but yet, I was trying to be. I was trying to be something that I wasn't. And others wanted to make me something that I wasn't. Have you ever had those times where you get kind of the same message from God over and over for a period of time? And it's like, okay, I'll get it. That was, that was the lesson for me. It was just every angle he's saying, I made you this way on purpose. You're not an accident. So go with it. And that really set me free. That really set me free to be who God made me to be. And today, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians because I don't think I'm the only person to struggle with that. I don't think I'm the only one that's looked at others and went, oh, I wish I had that gift. Oh, I wish I was as skilled as that person. I wish I was as eloquent or as compassionate or loving. We have this tendency to look at others and compare ourselves, and then either we conclude we're not good enough or we conclude we're awesome. And, and neither one is the right conclusion as we look at scripture. We've been going through, this is our last week in a series, the, the church, battleship or cruise ship. And if you've been here any one of these weeks, you've known our, our uh, conclusion is the church is supposed to be more like a battleship, not a cruise ship. The church is not a place where we're supposed to just attend and, and float, you know, like the lazy river. I love the lazy river. But you just hop on and you just kind of, you can just float around the lazy river. And that's great. But that's not what the church is supposed to be. The church is more like a battleship in that we have a very defined mission that we're supposed to go on together. A mission that God has given us. The difference between the church and a battleship is the way we go is in love and unity. You know, I think in the military, you don't need to worry so much about that stuff. You just have a mission to get done. For us, we've got a mission to get done, but how we do it is also vitally important. So I wanted to... To start off, so as we start today, are looking at gifts, looking at how God has made each of us to be involved. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians, but you have to be able to answer a question first. If you don't answer this question right, you're going to stumble through what we're talking about now. And the question is this, what's the purpose of the church? Why does the church exist? And we've gone through, if you've missed any of the weeks, it's on the podcast, you can go back and look. But we concluded that the purpose of the church is this. And you need to know this, because if somebody on the street asks you, you need to be able to answer. Um, to make God known. We saw that in Ephesians. The purpose of the church is to make God's character known to the world. We are supposed to look like Jesus. And as the world looks at us, they learn what Jesus is like. And as we learn what Jesus is like, we know what God is like, because Jesus is exactly like God. And so we make God known. That's, that's very, very important. The second mission we have is to make and grow Jesus followers. The Bible calls these disciples. People who are getting to know Jesus and growing in Jesus. So this includes evangelism. It includes lost people coming to know Christ and then being trained up. That's not good enough, by the way. The church's mission isn't just to get converts. It's then to grow people in Jesus to where then they are missionaries. They are going and making a difference in the world. That's the purpose. And then the third one that we put down, all done out of a heart of love for God and others. Because if we do the mission coldly, you know, going, trying to make God, but we don't do it out of the overflow of Jesus in us, it's all a waste of time. That's why our, our mission statement here is to expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. It starts in us. 
And so we've said, you pursue Jesus. Pursue him in love and intimacy. You are made to know him. You are made to love him. Then him in you will overflow in getting involved in the church and the mission of the church uh, and moving out. So we can't skip that part. Are we on the same page? Okay, <laughs> just making sure we get it. Okay, we're about life change. We are not the church. It's made up of people, us who follow Jesus. It's not an event to attend. It's a mission to join. Remember that the church is not an event you attend, but a mission you join made up of people called out to God. Turn to 1 Corinthians. I think the, the page number is 1061. We have new Bibles, by the way. If you need a Bible, grab one, page 1061, or pull out your electronic device. But we're going to be looking at, where do I fit? Because all this leads to the question, that's great, we're a battleship, but what, where, am I a gunner? You know, am I a pilot? Where, where do I fit on the ship? What am I going to do? And last week, we made a, a very important discovery in the book of Ephesians that everybody is supposed to be part, that leaders are supposed to train and equip others to do the ministry. Last week, we said we need to stop hogging all the fun. Maybe you, you've heard the stat that's accurate. 20% of people in church do 80% of the work. And I think that's, that's fault on both sides. That 20%, they're doing too much. They need to share the fun because it's really fun to be involved in ministry. And so leaders need to stop doing so much and help others do. And so that's why we're doing this this week, looking at 1 Corinthians 12. Now, in 1 Corinthians... The situation is Paul is writing to a church. This church had written him a letter with a whole bunch of questions, and he's just answering the questions. One of the questions they asked was about spiritual gifts because they had a problem. Their problem was they thought certain gifts were more important than others, and they were raising those people up in the church. The gift they had the, pro the most problem with was tongues, the ability to speak a language you've never learned. This, this gift was first seen at Pentecost because Jerusalem was full of people from all over the world that spoke different languages. The, the 11, at that point, the 11 disciples stand up and they start sharing about Jesus in all these different languages. That was the gift of tongues. And so in the early church, they thought, or in, in Corinth, that's the most important gift. Everybody should have that gift. And if you have that gift, you're more important than everybody else. And so they would seek these gifts. Um, the other thing that was happening in the Corinthian church is people would have a gift and they'd go, check out my gift. And then on, on Sunday, when they got together, they just use their gift. You know, they just get up. And so they had a, a service like this, but it was always being disrupted by somebody standing up and speaking in another language or somebody standing up and going, I've got a message from God. Or, and, and so it was all unorganized. Their gifts were causing disunity and hindering the mission. That's why Paul's writing that. So we need to understand that context. Now we're in a different context here and Carson City, Common Grinch, we're in a little bit different context, but we can gather what he was trying to tell them and apply that to us. It's extremely valuable, but I'm going to read our whole passage for today, and then we're going to go through it. This is 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm going to start in verse 4. Paul writes, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of service but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit. To another, faith 
by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Holy Spirit, we, we ask again that you would just uh, help us understand this passage. Help us understand what you would have us understand, not just what it meant then, but now apply that to us now. How can we use the truth that hasn't changed to benefit what you want to do in and through us right here at Common Ground in Carson City? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So he starts out that there's a variety. Look at this. If you notice, if you're paying attention, and this is always a good thing to do is pay attention. But when you're reading, pay attention to, to things repeated. Because a lot of times we narrow in on something and we dissect one verse and we miss the thrust. If you notice, he, re he repeats over and over, one spirit, one spirit, one spirit. Because their problem was gifts were dividing them. And he says, they're one, one spirit, it's all about him. So get over yourself, it's all about him. One spirit, if you have this gift, one spirit gave it to you. If you have another gift, same spirit gave you that one and all used for his glory, for his purposes. And that's how he begins. He says, a variety of gifts, same spirit, variety of service, same Lord, variety of activities, the same God who empowers each. We could spend the whole time on those verses, but we're not going to. But you see the Trinity in these verses. He says a variety of gifts, same spirit, same Lord, same God. Those were the terms that were used for spirit, Holy Spirit, Lord, Jesus Christ, and God used as the Father. Even within the Trinity, the Godhead, there is unity among diversity. They have different roles, yet they're one. They're equal. It's the same in the church. We have different roles, but yet we're still one. Empowered by one, uh, with the same mission going together, and of same importance. Just like in a marriage, right? The husband is the leader, the head, but he's not more important. He's not better in any way, but that's the role he has. The wife is the submissive helper, not because she's lesser. That's just the role. It's the same as the spirit has with Jesus. The spirit's no lesser. That's what he's talking about here. Within the church, there's variety, diversity among the church. So that's your first note. Within the church, there is God-given unity in the midst of God-given diversity. Notice they're repeated, God-given we're united because of him, but we're still diverse. We're still diverse. From, from an early age, we've tried to make sure our kids know they're weird. Um, none of my kids are in here. Oh, Lydia's here. 
Um, maybe the weirdest. No, but there was a couple, couple years ago, we're sitting at dinner. I said, hey, raise your hand if you're a weirdo. And they all raised their hand. And, and I mean, there's a, <laughs> I've got hands raising right now. That's great. Um, but the purpose is they're unique. You know, I mean, you can take that too far, obviously. Um, but the purpose is, is that each of them know I don't need to fit in a certain box that somebody else may, makes for me. I'm, I'm unique and different. And if you're a parent, you've realized your kids are different than each other and you have to treat them differently and use them differently. And if you have the same approach with all, you're probably gonna have some problems. Well, it's the same with the church. We're diverse. We're each kind of weird. <laughs> What's normal? We all, think you, you, you know, I base normal on what I am, but no, we're all different. And so that's the point, a variety and not only a variety of gifts, but of service and of activities. So there's different gifting and there's different ways to use it too. Variety. So it's okay to be weird. You can make that note. It's okay to be different. Um, unity does not mean uniformity. That's what sticks out to me in this. Unity does not mean uniformity. That's the fact that set me free, I think, to, to really pursue who I am in Christ that I don't have to be like everybody else in church. You know, we have this churchy box and sometimes it's really boring. Um, and so we're free to be who God made us to be. Let me throw this in just within the limits of holiness, of Christ-likeness. So if you go, you know what? God made me an angry person. I'm sorry, that doesn't fit. You, you can't just go be angry because as you get to know Christ, he's gonna change that in you. There's, there's sin in our lives that need to change. We have tendencies according to our flesh to sin, it's not okay to make justification for those, okay? So, but the other things, the good things, run with those. Verse seven says that everyone is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. We quoted this one last week. Everybody has a gift and it's not for you. That's the point. Every Christian is given a spiritual gift to be used to serve others. Unique. This morning as I was going through, I just had to go to Psalm 139 because I think this is helpful. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. The psalmist is, is writing, you know, praise to God, but he's looking at who he is also. He says, for you formed me, speaking to God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I want us to understand we're made unique. He made you as a baby in your mother's womb. He did that on purpose. You didn't come out as an accident. And then when you came to Christ, you were remade. You were born again. And that wasn't an accident either. We need to understand how important we are. Nobody is an accident. Not even the Manser boys. Right? <laughs> Just trying to get him to pay attention. <laughs> Nobody's an accident. Nobody's an accident. If you leave with nothing else, I want you to know God made me on purpose. He gifted me on purpose. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Now he's going to go on though, and he's going to look at some of the gifts. He doesn't give us an exhaustive list. In fact, nowhere in scripture do you find an exhaustive list all in one. But as you take all the lists from Corinthians, from Romans, and, and, and Ephesians, and lump them together, you'll find about 20. The New Testament will give about 20 gifts, but I want to give a, a little bit of a warning before. There's a danger. We talked about this in our group this week. We had a really good conversation about groups uh, or about uh, gifts. The danger, and all of us said we've seen it, is somebody recognizes their gift or thinks they do, 
And then they walk in and go, here's my gift. Give me my role. Here's my gift. I get to do this. And they use their gift to try and demand something. And, and it creates division rather than unity. The other thing I wanted to point out before we look at it is there's a tendency, and I've had this of, go, of let's forget about the gifts. Let's not even talk about them because we get so wrapped up in them and we don't do anything. But I think it is important to look at the gifts because they're listed in here, because they're repeated in several different books. It is important to look at them and here's why. It's, it's freeing to discover our wiring. I like that phrase wiring. How are you wired? How did God make you? And you are gonna be your best for, for the church, for Christ, for your family when you're operating within your wiring and if there's a part that's not part of your wiring that needs to get done, maybe it's good for you to bring somebody else to be part of that. So here's where it's helpful to look at why we're gifted, to recognize we're wiring. So let's look at some of those. We're not going to dwell on these a lot. You have, uh, there's a list on the back that you can look at to look at the different gifts. There's a, a gifts test we've encouraged you to take, uh, spiritualgiftstest.com, um, and that's helpful. So we're not going to dwell on it, but I do want to glance through a few at first. Um, he goes through, he says uh, in verse eight, for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit. Again, notice the same spirit. One is not more important than the other. One is not uniquely, you know, you know above the other, but it's the same spirit empowering him. Wisdom, wisdom is the ability to basically take scripture and apply it to somebody's life uh, in a useful way. The gift of wisdom. These people are really good counselors. This is, if you know somebody with a gift of wisdom and you have a choice to, to make or you have a, a life dilemma, you want to go talk to one of these people because they're not just going to tell you what they think. They're not going to just give you good advice. They're going to go, well, here's what the Bible says and here's how I think that would help you in this situation. Some people with the gift of teaching are really good at just telling you what it means, you know, what it says, what it means. But then you're like, okay, I'm going through this situation. How does that help me? And they'll just quote you a Bible verse. Yeah, but how does that help me? Oh, no, it says this, it, you know, but the, the person with the gift of wisdom can say, here's what it says, and here's how that might play out. So somebody with this gift needs to know scripture. You won't know you have this gift until you have some, some scripture, at least some study and, and some knowledge of where to go. But that's a really useful gift. The next one is the gift of knowledge. So this, this is different than wisdom. This is different than teaching, but this is somebody that just remembers stuff. I think you have to have a good memory. Um, you have that gift. <laughs> and he knows he has this gift, but he just remembers things. Oh, here's, I just know this about that. I'm like, who cares? Um, <laughs> then you need somebody with the gift of wisdom to come along and go, actually, that's really useful. And here's how we can use that. But the gift of knowledge, I was in a, a, a big team teaching meeting. So there's this big giant church, thousands of people, and they had a teaching team. And in their meeting, I got to just sit in and watch them. They had this one older guy, and he wasn't one of their main communicators. He didn't preach, I think, ever, maybe once a year. But he's in there, and they're talking about this big series they're going to go through. They're like, okay, you know, and then this part, and they'd all turn to him and go, what did that mean? And he'd just go, well, back in second century. I mean, he just knew everything. And so he was a huge resource to that team of knowledge of helping them understand correctly what the Bible is saying, uh, and then that was part of the team. So that's the gift of knowledge, very, very useful gift. Then it goes on and he talks about the gift of faith. I'm not going to go through all of them this deep, but I, I want to mention this one because in our group this week, we went around and talked about our gifts. Everybody in the room but me had the gift of faith. I think that's interesting. 
And, and that's what I said. It's, this is interesting. Why? The gift of faith is not somebody that, it's not salvation. It's not, we all have that faith. It's not um, the ability to just believe things will happen. The gift of faith is the ability to go through and see things happen. It's the people that can go, I believe God can do the impossible and I'm gonna move forward as if he will. And so we have a group full of people like that. I think that's kind of interesting. I'm not sure what God's gonna do, but I think it's, I'm gonna be amazed. If we use our gifts, if we just sit there and go, I'm not sure how to use this, this isn't a big deal, we're gonna miss out. But that, the gift of faith. Um, the last one I wanna address is, is he starts talking, he says the gift of healing. And then he's gonna talk about tongues and some of these other, these are sign gifts. There's three gift categories, service, speaking, and sign gifts. And the debates are all around the sign gifts. That's where the debates are. Some will tell you that they, uh, they ceased when the Bible was completed, that there's no more use for sign gifts. They don't exist anymore. Nobody has those. The people that would say that say, God can still do that. You know, no, no Bible-believing Christian is going to say, oh, God can't do miracles or God can't do healings. But they would say a person gifted in that way not anymore. Um, or the gift of tongues, which is always the ability to speak a known language, not a prayer language. Uh, in the church right now, there's, a, you know, there's denominations that say, oh, I have a prayer language, and they call it tongues. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. This isn't about that. But they, they shouldn't call it tongues because biblical tongues is a known language, and it's used for a purpose as a sign for those who don't believe. So I'm going to leave that up to you to figure out kind of where you stand on that. <laughs> but if the sign gifts are still operational, if people have them, then they need to operate the way they did biblically. A lot of times we'll take what the Bible says and then we'll twist it. Well, that means this now. And we can't do that. The gift of healing, for example, was the ability to heal completely and immediately. Boom. That's the gift of healing. The gift of healing is not somebody has cancer, People have prayed for them and then they go get chemo and they do these things and eventually they're healed. That's not the gift of healing. The gift of healing is this person has cancer, touch and pray, cancer's gone. That's the gift of healing. That may exist now. That I have not met somebody with that gift, but maybe it does. But it needs to operate the way it does biblically. The reason those would say that uh, you know, miracles and, and the signs like that, maybe they've ceased is wherever you see in scripture signs like that, they always serve the same purpose. They authenticate the message or the messenger. It's only seen about three times in scripture. It's seen with Moses, it's seen with Elijah, and then it's seen again with Jesus and the apostles. Every time gifts are, are strongly there, all these miracles, it's for only about a 70 year period, and then it's not the norm among God's people anymore. So that's part of the argument for maybe why those aren't anymore. But here's what's important. As you look back down to 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The, the Holy Spirit decides what gift each person gets and is the power source as the gift is exercised. My point there is if, uh, if you have a problem with where you fit, you have a problem with God. Because he has gifted you and he's put you in a place to use it. Now, here's, we're in a dilemma right now. I'm going to tell you our dilemma. Our dilemma is that we're growing and we have more gifted people walking in the doors. And we have people in here discovering their gifting. The problem is there's another group already doing things. 
and doing them very well. And so as we were talking about this gifting, we need to create room for everybody to do what God would have them do, which means the topic of last week, share the fun, do less. And here's the response. And it's natural and it's okay and it's normal for those who are really good doers. Oh, but I love doing that and that and that and that. (laughs) You know, I want to be, they look at the teams list and go, I want to be on all of them which is great. And you know, it's a great heart, but as we grow, we need less people do, we need more people doing more different things, which means we start narrowing in. So even Callie and I were talking about it. Callie's on two teams right now. She's doing youth and music. We go, well, as we grow, you're going to probably need to pick one, but I love both, you know, and she's good at both. And she made a really valuable point that I, I didn't even notice. She said, but What value will there be as a church as we do narrow in and pick, you know, what we think we're most gifted in or best at, and we go with that, we're going to have more time outside the church. We're going to have more time. So somebody loves doing baking and things. Well, I only get to do it once every six weeks. Well, then bake a bunch of cookies and take them to your neighbors. (laughs) Use your gift in a different way to bless those outside. I think it's, if we can start thinking that way and being okay doing less here, but then doing more out, how, how much could God do through us? That, that gives me chills. Just if we can adjust our thinking a little bit, um, doing less. And here's the other part. Here, here's what we've been talking about a lot as, as leadership. How can we reproduce ourselves? So we, we find something we're good at and then we let others share the fun and we reproduce because we've told you from the beginning and if you're new here, here it is. We don't wanna be the biggest church in town. That's not our goal. Our goal isn't to be this giant church with thousands of people and hey, look how great we are. Our goal is to see Carson City and Carson Valley churched. Meaning a church in every neighborhood focused on that neighborhood. How neat if a church, a kingdom-minded, Bible-centered church with the resources of a network is in a community focused on serving that community. The single moms in there are blessed. The elderly are blessed. How neat. So if that's, gonna, if that's what God wants to do through us, that means we need to be reproducing. We need, not kids, we need to be multiplying ourselves. So if you're really good at teaching kids, awesome. You need to help others get good at teaching kids because when that happens, somebody's gonna have to go there and teach kids and do it really well. So I hope you see the vision and I think why there is a diversity of gifts and why God doesn't give each of us every gift. But there's another danger. There's another danger with the gifting and we addressed it at the beginning. The danger is pride. And sometimes we get pride wrong. Paul in Romans 12, right before he talks about gifts in Romans, he addresses that issue and he handles it perfectly, so I'll let him handle it. Romans 12, 3 says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. He says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, but think with sober judgment. So we can discover our gifting and get good at stuff. You guys are all good at something. There can be pride in that. Hey, look how smart I am. Hey, look how, how skilled I am. I'm such a great musician. Whatever it is, that can create pride. Or there's the other side to go, I'm not good at anything. I'm not useful. And I think in the church, more temptation is on that side of going, look at all these other gifted people. I'll just let them do it. I'm not that big a deal. But what he says here is to think with sober judgment, which means if you're good at something, it's okay to say, I'm good at something. That's okay. 
You know, it, when, uh, when we had an event here and I made spaghetti and I burned the heck out of it. Um, yeah, people were here. <laughs> it was disgusting. Um, I was operating outside my gifting and some people with the gift of hospitality were like, don't you ever do that again. Tell us, we'll do it. Awesome. Because you know what? They're good at it. They know they're good at it. They should be doing it. So it's okay to think with right judgment about yourself, uh, being self-aware. Chip Ingram says it this way. If the view is you, it's pride. If the view is you, it's pride. So I'm awesome or I'm nothing. Both are pride because you're focused on yourself. The gifts are given for the body. So if you're good at something, we need you to be good at it with us. Help us, help us get better. But we all have something we're good at. But we need it with the right view. Now, 12, verses 12 through 14, he starts talking about the body. And I like the way he uses it. He talks about an ear, can't say to the eye, a foot, can't say to the hand. Basically, don't look at the other and say, you're not important. Or look at yourself and go, well, since I'm not a foot, I'm not important. Each one has its place. And as we discover this, this is actually really beautiful. When, when people start discovering their gifting and using it. So I'm going to, I didn't ask Callie's permission, sorry, but I'm going to pick on her. Um, as we look at, she's giving me a look. Um, as we look at gifting, Callie, I would say, has both the, give them, uh, the gift of wisdom. Give them, I combine those words. She has the gift of wisdom and she has the gift of exhortation, which means she can see the right path to take biblically and she'll encourage you to go there. Imagine that as a wife. She's, she's almost always right <laughs> and she'll let you know it. So, um, that's not true. That's not true. She's, I, I'm going to, I'm still going to pick on you. I'm sorry. Um, you add through it the humility that we're supposed to have as the church, as, as Christians, she's right. She guides. And when I don't listen and I go the wrong way and I hit a wall, she doesn't rub my face in it. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that's kind of the, the operation of gifting together, doing what we're good at with humility and with love, because we need that. Last week, we talked about the dance of the porcupine. Remember, we're going to mess up. We're going to poke each other a little bit, but we need each other. And so as we can discover that, and here's what's awesome about discovering, hey, I have the gift of encouragement or, or exhortation, you know, like Callie. We need to go, maybe we've talked about it, get some training to be a, a therapist, a counselor, because there's something about using our gift for the benefit of the kingdom, of the body. But all parts are needed. And that's what we see there in, in those verses all the way through the end as he's talking about the body. All parts are needed. Look at verse 19. Because he says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And we've probably all seen churches like this. And we have that temptation right here to all of us look similar. You know, it's like a, a body with just a bunch of ears. You know, that would look really funny. But we need diversity. And that takes work. To hang around people that aren't like you can be hard. But it can also be really, really awesome when we are diverse and okay with that diversity and going in unity for his kingdom. That's the point of this passage. Maintain the diversity. Awesome. Go in unity together, each doing your part for the kingdom. Stop comparing yourself to others. Recognize that you are immensely valuable and useful the way God made you and the way he has gifted you or the gift he has given you. And I put this, you're needed for the church to be its best. A lot would fight that. A lot would say, you're not needed. 
God doesn't need any of us, but I would say for us to be our best, you are needed. Kind of like that block, we, we built blocks last week and it's still sitting over there. Each part is needed for it to be a complete wall. You take a piece out, it'll still operate as a wall, but it's gonna leak a little bit. It's gonna bend. That's what we are as a church. We need all of us doing our part, whatever that is, for his kingdom. Now, a couple tips. We're, we're done with that passage, but I, I felt led to give a couple tips on gifts. And here's the first one. They need to be worked on and developed. In 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul is writing to a young pastor and he tells him, fan into flame the gift which God has given you. He tells Timothy, fan into flame. So you've been given a gift and it's like a little spark and now you need to develop it. In faith, it will be developed as you pursue Jesus in your personal life, but also you practice, you train. We're given different gifts. We're given different levels of, of abilities as well. But it's up to you and it's up to us as a church to get better, to work on those things. Do you have a speaking gift? Well, then you got to practice speaking somewhere. You got to get in, maybe read some good books on it, get some training. Uh, what is your gifting? Work on it, work on it. And then how do we discover our gifting? How do you discover? We, uh, we have a spiritual gifts test that we think it's great that you take. I would really encourage you, if you haven't read the spiritual gifts list that explains them and explains them very well, grab that and look at that. But how do you discover your gifting? Here's a clue. When you hear a need, how do you immediately respond? You're on Facebook, you see a need. Such and such is happening there. What is your initial reaction? Do they have a financial need that, that I can give to? Maybe you have the gift of giving. Can I bring them a meal? Maybe you have the gift of service or the gift of helps. How can I give them a Bible verse to help them get through this? Maybe you have encouragement under exhortation. How do you respond? That's really important. And what do you not want to do? <laughs> you know, I hear of a need. Somebody needs to go and just sit with them for an hour. Somebody else, please. <laughs> you know, we're made somebody with the gift of mercy and compassion, which I don't have that. Um, doesn't mean I'm, I have an excuse to not be merciful or compassionate, but somebody else should fill that role. So how do you respond? Next one, what do others say about you? And we said this last week. If you're married, what does your spouse say? Parents, what would you say about your kids? Watch your kids. What are they good at? I can tell you, Lydia has the gift of leadership and she's only 12, almost 13. I could tell you, Kayla, who's 10, she probably has the gift of compassion and maybe some administrative gifts. She loves to organize. That's not Callie So guess what? We need to get her hanging out with Katie and Kelsey and, and other people with those giftings. So what do, what do others say about you? And we have to add this, pay attention to those around you. What gifts do you see in them? What abilities do you see in them? And here's another one. If you're wondering what your gift might be, what opportunities keep popping up? What, what opportunities keep popping up? Is there uh, something repeated? Do you consistently have non-believers around you wanting to hear the gospel? Maybe you have the gift of evangelism and God is saying, practice it, use it, try it out. You're on an airplane and the person next to you wants to talk and they want to hear about Jesus. Maybe that's your gift. What keeps popping up? Uh, do you keep running into people that need something built in their yard and you're like, I'd love to do that. And you have the time to do it. Maybe you have a, a gift of service and skills he's given you to use in that area. But here's the last one, and I think this is the biggest one. How do you discover your gifting in your place? Get involved. Just do something. You take a ship parked in a harbor, and you start trying to steer it, it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to turn. But you get a ship out on the sea, 
Now you can turn it. Now you can figure out where the wind is going. You, you can, it's the same with us. We need to just get moving. Just get involved. Do something. And a lot of times, it's, it's more helpful to mark things off the list than to circle things on the list. So kids are always looking for helpers. Maybe you do that for two weeks. You're like, this drives me crazy. Well, guess what? You get to mark that one off the list. <laughs> that's not, and that's okay. That's okay. But get involved. Get involved. Maybe you love cooking and, and getting involved in, in doing hospitality. Um, maybe you love getting people connected with others. And so you need to join the connections team. Maybe you try that and you're like, I just don't like talking to new people. You know, maybe there's another spot for you. That's okay. I mean, we all need to get good at talking to people, but we have different gifting. So get involved because I don't think, I don't think God will show you your gifting or your purpose until you start doing something. I don't think we'll sit there and just have like this bird float down with a, a letter going, hey, here's what I want you to do. Awesome, thanks. Now I'll go, we need to just get moving and he'll direct us and he'll help us. Kind of like those puzzle pieces we had last week, discovering where we fit. There was a, a businessman, I think in, in Alabama, somewhere in the South, and he heard about a need. He was just a guy in the church. He heard about a need in the back with the kids, with kids with special needs. And so he just volunteered. He didn't think he had, you know, he just volunteered. They need help with kids with special needs, I'll get involved. He fell in love with it fell in love with serving kids with special needs, got involved with an organization going overseas. And so several times a year, he'll take these trips and go overseas to help with kids with special needs. And he made the comment to his pastor. He said, man, once you discover purpose, you can never go back to boring church. Once you discover purpose, you can't do church as normal. And church as normal is 80% sitting and watching 20% have a great time. We need to be different. God has called us to be different. I've talked to a lot of people through the months and months, and I, I hear this all the time from other church leaders. It's just the way it is. Just get used to it. 25% of your people are going to show up on Sunday. Only 20% are going to serve. And I say, no, because if the Spirit's working, that's not his plan for the church. We're a battleship, and his plan is for all of us to be in involved. And how exciting if that could happen. Let me pray, and we're going to take communion together. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you. You are the head. We are your body parts. Some of us are hands. Some of us are feet. Some of us are an appendix and we need to figure out what we're for. But God, we are all part of your body. You have all put us here for a purpose and we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I beg of you. You would speak to us. You would show us. You would lead us to get involved where you would have us get involved. God, if some of us are doing too much, you would lead us to stop doing some things. Let others do, train others. It's all for your glory. It's same spirit, your spirit, it's you. And it's all for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna take the Lord's Supper. We, we uh, thank you. Uh, we take the Lord's Supper often here at Common Ground about every other week. And the reason why is we want to have in front of us all the time what Jesus did for us. As I was thinking about today, I was thinking about this lesson and I, I was thinking about the Lord's Supper. Um, I was led to the last verse in the Bible. Do you know how the Bible ends? The very, very end. How does it end? Because what we're talking about right now is we're talking about the now part. So Jesus died in the past 
we're saved now and we operate as his body on this life. You know, finding our gifts, trying to be about his business while we're here. But that's just for now. The very, very end. This is John. John, the one who wrote First John, the, the one who wrote the gospel of John. He has this vision of the end and he talks all about what's going to happen later. And there's a lot of debates, but he ends it this way. Verse 20, Revelation 22, 20 says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Jesus told John as he's writing this, and by the way, I'm coming back soon. And he ends it this way, amen. That means let it be, amen. Let it be your way, Jesus. He says, amen, come Lord Jesus. That's how the Bible ends. He's coming back and we want him to come back. <laughs> we can't wait till he comes back. But until he does, we're gonna be about his business, worshiping him for his glory. So let's take the Lord's Supper. We're gonna do it differently this time. We love doing things differently. We're gonna do it kind of the way we used to do it. We do want you to get up as this song begins, as the music goes, get up, come up. We, we have enough this time. Um, come down these aisles, grab the bread, grab the cup, then go back to your seat. What we've been doing is taking it on your own at your seat or somewhere. But today, because the, the point is unity, I want us to take it together. We are one body with one head, Jesus Christ, going on one mission that he is leading. None of us are the head. He's the head. And we get a tendency to discover our gifting and run out alone. But we're, we're a body. And so today, we're going to do it differently. Let's take it together. So get up, grab your cup, grab your, your bread. If you... The, the one caveat here is this is for believers. So if you have yet to submit your life to Jesus as Lord, just hold off and that's okay. No big deal. If you have sin in your life you're unwilling to deal with, don't take it because you put yourself in a bad position when you do that. If you have sin in your life that you need to deal with, deal with it now. Deal with it now. Spend some time in prayer. And then all of us are free to take it. So come up, grab it, sit down, um, and we're going to take it together. play some music for a little while as you come forward. Go ahead and turn the lights off if you're good. Just deal with God in these next few minutes.